The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. I'm in a good mood, folks. I'm feeling so, so good. And for the second week in a row, the reason why I'm feeling so, so good is sports-related. And we talked a lot about sports last week. We were very sportsy last week for a music business podcast. I know some of you probably weren't big fans of that. Our satellite radio home, Slam Radio, was big fans of that because a lot of the stuff on that station is sports talk. But, and I promised this week that I was like, all right, for this week, I'm not going to get too deep into sports. I'm going to stick to the music industry stuff that I know our audience wants to hear. But then... Something unexpected happened on the basketball court. My alma mater, the University of Miami, the place where I teach as a college professor, the University of Miami, the place where when I was 12 years old, I was a ball boy for the University of Miami basketball team, cleaning the sweat off the floors when the players fell down. The University of Miami, that University of Miami, made the Final Four, and they're playing this weekend. Now, this might I might sound really stupid saying all this, because as we're recording this, it is Wednesday. By the time this goes up on a podcast, we may have already lost our Final Four game against Connecticut, but maybe we haven't. And it's possible that by the time you all hear this, we could be at the championship game. And then I'll be really, really excited. So, for those reasons, and mainly for those reasons, I am very, very happy right now. But I'm, I'm happy for many other reasons, not the least of which is the co-host joining us this week. Producer, musician, teacher, all-around excellent human being, Zach Sloan is with us. Hey, Zach. Mediocre person, but I appreciate the effort. Oh, now, I I know darn well nobody would ascribe that particular adjective to you, good sir. So, so wonderful to see you. I mean, are, are you catching the NCAA March Madness, as they call it? I know that uh, none of the teams in your neck of the woods are in it, but I would be happy to save you a seat on the University of Miami bandwagon if you want to be a temporary hurricane for this week. You know what? That sounds good to me. When you first said you were talking about sports, I thought you were getting ready to talk about my favorite sport, which is cricket spitting. But apparently, um, that's not where we're going. We're going with the NCAA, which is a smaller thing um, besides professional cricket. Yeah, but now I kind of want to go with your thing. What is that? Cricket spitting? Spitting, yes. It, it originated in Indiana. It's a it's a sport in which people see how far they can spit a dead cricket and furthest spit wins. Well, thank God it's a dead cricket. <laughs> that was that's an important uh, clarification. I I was envisioning like you having to put one of those live things in your mouth, and you know who knows what happens at that point. But like if the cricket's still alive, like maybe it sort of assists. Like do crickets fly? Like could they like fly after the? Uh, they got they got some good jumps. I mean, if you timed it right. That's, I mean, um, it's really a team sport if you think about it, yeah. if the crickets were alive. And to any aspiring podcasters, this is how you get fired from your podcast. When somebody <laughs> is like, let me tell you about my alma mater and the NCAA, and you immediately Googled world's dumbest sports just yeah. so you can derail it. That's really, that's how you I mean, get We've fired. never made the final four before, Zach. This is incredible news, and you want to get me talking about insects and, and shooting them out of your mouth, which again, no. uh, you know, I'm not saying I don't want to give it a try. It could be fun. No, I, good luck to Miami. You guys go get it. Save me a seat on the bandwagon, Ryan. Hey, very good. Uh, this is, it's it's exciting. And like, that we could actually win this thing. It, yeah, you can. I mean, not you're, because you're we're any kind of special, because you know, it's a good team, but we're not like really great. We're like a five seed. But like every team that's left in the final four, 
you're saying, well, who the hell is that? Like, I mean, Connecticut's there. Connecticut's always good. But after that, San Diego State, that mm-hmm. basketball power, Florida Atlantic University. Like, we're not even the most, what the hell is that South Florida basketball team doing in our tournament school in this Final Four? Because Florida Atlantic University, <laughs> the Owls, takes that distinction. Most people didn't even know there was a Florida Atlantic University until I, I just not. mentioned it right now. But you know who would know that there's a Florida Atlantic University? One of our two guests tonight. We're going to be joined later in the show by Eric Knight and Rich Ezra, host of Mubu TV Music Business Television. Eric Knight, a, a fellow Miamian, uh, born in Hialeah. I'm sure he knows where Florida Atlantic University is. And I don't know if he's a Canes fan. Maybe he sort of inherited his Canes fandom just by growing up in Miami. But Eric, if you're out there in the green room, just know, like, you're welcome on the bandwagon, too. We got a nice three-seater on our row of the bandwagon. You, me, Zach Sloan, we're going to ride this thing uh, all the way to the championship. It's going to be great. But these two dudes are awesome, Zach. I know you were telling me that you're really excited to chat with them because you just loved the videos they're putting together, the podcast they're putting together, all about empowering indie creators. Oh, my goodness. First of all, like I, anytime people put together something that has a high production value, I'm always wildly impressed because the amount of work it takes just to do something small is nuts um their production value is amazing their podcast episodes super cool their show awesome i cannot wait to chat with these guys because they have they they have had guests that i only aspire to get to talk to at some point in my life so these guys these cats have something special going hey look they might have really acclaimed guests on there that are just blowing people away and they may have really high production values with professional cameras but we have Logitech webcams and Zach Sloan. So I like to think we're, we're keeping up with our friends over at Mubu TV. Um, <laughs> Your silence speaks volumes. I, I will say this. I appreciate your twice attempt at trying to make me sound like I am more important than I am. Ryan, you're a good friend. But these guys have a little bit more more cred in the industry than I do, so I'm really interested to chat with them because what they've got going seriously, if you haven't been there, if you haven't checked out their podcast, you need to. It's it's fascinating stuff. It's an, it's going to be a blast talking to them. A lot of experience between these two folks. Uh, they've uh, Eric's a music manager and artist, Rich, longtime record executive. They're going to give us a lot of fantastic mm-hmm. info. Excited to have them on the show. So look, Mubu TV, they may have the expertise. They may have the production values. They may have the star-studded guests. But I don't think, to the best of my knowledge, after checking out some of their episodes, I do not believe they have a killer robot that gives industry advice. Let's go ahead and bring out our AI Overlord Tip of the Week. In our continuing quest to challenge our AI overlord, ChatGPT, to give us advice uh, for indie creators, we have been asking it for the last few weeks to have to, to put in a quote from a movie as part of the advice that we are dispensing to try to challenge it a little bit. Because mm-hmm. so far, the advice it's been giving is all solid, but I don't think, but I think it's too easy. And so this week, what we want to do is I have decided to have our AI overlord give us a piece of music industry advice while shoehorning in the hilarious quote from the hilarious movie Wedding Crashers, make me a bicycle clown. So that's what we're going to be going with. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, did, were you like, did you like wear out this DVD when you like 10 years ago when it came out too, or is it just me? Uh, y- yes. Yeah. Like any red-blooded American, I have seen Wedding Crashers more times than I care to admit. Very good. So you'll appreciate the I... make me a bicycle clown quote that we're about to put in here. So here's our AI overlord tip of the week. Hey, indie creators, it's time for our tip of the week. I love that Chad GPT mm. is already putting a little fanfare into it. He didn't used to do that. Now they're yeah. trying to, you know, let us know. Hey, Indie Creators, it's time for our tip of the week. Today, we're focusing on the value of staying humble and approachable in your creative journey. As an Indie Creator, you might occasionally hear metaphorical requests like, make me a bicycle clown from your audience, and it's essential to understand their needs while maintaining a sense of humor. By staying grounded and open to feedback, 
you'll foster a stronger connection with your fans, which in turn leads to a more dedicated following. Make an effort to engage with your audience, whether it's through social media, comments, or email. So, indie creators, when you encounter those make-me-a-bicycle-clown moments, embrace them as opportunities to connect and grow. Your humility and approachability will help you build a loyal fan base and contribute to your long-term success. Now, Zach, being the friendly chap that you are, you strike me as somebody who'd be pretty good at handling advice and critique from your fans and allowing them to kind of be part of the uh, experience for you. And, and you, you're going to take the things that they say, really listen to it and incorporate it into your art, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, in fact, it, when, as soon as you started talking about that, I remember went back to actually former guest of the podcast, Ella Luna, um, who's putting out a record next month and Ella Luna's amazing and you should all go get it. Um, yeah, she's doing a record release in, in Los Angeles. So if you're out there, go check her out. But I remember I had my one air quotes, indie number one indie single from a very very tiny independent chart that i was not even going to record but for ella's mother was at one of my gigs and i just happened to play that song and she's like man i really think there's something there and you should do something with it and i thought she was just being nice and trying to humor my terrible song um and i told her as much and she was very like kind but insistent like no that's really something you should you should do and i I really appreciate that in hindsight. Um, listening to your listening to your fans, not just what they what they want from you, but like what they think of new material. These are all really good things, and being approachable is the only way you're going to get that feedback. Yeah. Uh, since we're going to be bringing up guests who are great examples of this, remember about six months ago we had on Mike Ryan Ruiz, the executive producer of the Dan Lebetard Show with Stu Gotts, the number one sports radio podcast in America made right here in Miami, Florida, shameless plug. And he's talked in the past about one of the things that makes that show so great is not only just like the fan culture around the show, but how willing they have been throughout the year to take feedback from their yeah. fans and to openly solicit it. And anybody who works in independent sports radio or just any kind of sports media knows that Sports radio fans don't give their feedback gently. They are a mean bunch. They will they are they do not hold back and they are vicious. And if there's any industry where if you work in that industry you want to kind of shut those people out and try not to listen to them because they will hurt your feelings, it's sports radio fans. But at the Lebetard show, they lean into it, right? They, when somebody says something mean about their show, like one of their fans, like says something they don't like, they'll actually retweet that mean comment and like, they want to encourage it. And when you ask them about it, they say that fan feedback makes us great. Mm -hmm. They, uh, you know, they push us, they make us better. And, you know, it's a tough way to live because, you know, it's no one likes to get yelled at, especially by your fans, but they say it brings them to a whole other level. And in fact, there was actually a, a situation on that program. They were putting out some podcast material where some of the fans are being a little mean with the hosts. And one of the hosts just basically said on the podcast, um, hey, you get this show for free, basically. Like, knock it off. Like, you know, you're not paying customers. You don't have to be like this. And Levitard, the ho Dan Levitard, the host of the show, actually went on the air and apologized for the people on his, who sh his show who said that. They're like, no, you be as mean as you want. It's okay. We need this feedback to get better. And you're the reason why our show is so great. Our audience and the size of it is the reason why we can get huge rates from advertisers. We are grateful for every one of you, even the mean ones. Keep giving us your feedback. Yep. And so I, I think, you know, Chad GPT is onto something here saying, like, be open to that feedback and let your fans be a part of that process. I, a chat GPT, uh, per usual, is coming for my job, and I don't appreciate it. <laughs> well, speaking of things coming for your job, oh, Zach, I, I'm, I've never actually gotten your perspective on this as a music producer, but I figure you may have some feelings on this. What is generally your feeling about beat licensing? Like uh, platforms like BeatStars, where people license beats online or license loops to make their tracks. Like, do you see that as a valuable thing that helps you as a producer, or do you see that as a potential replacement for producers because maybe people are licensing beats instead of working with somebody like you? 
So I'm going to go to a quote from uh, Shannon Sanders, who produced one of my favorite Johnny Lang albums, uh, Turn Around. And I got to chat with him in Nashville years ago, actually at a CD Baby conference. He said something very interest, interesting to me. He said, people too often confuse beat makers with producers, and they're very different things. If all you can do is make a beat, then technology is going to get you eventually anyway. The real value in a, in a producer, um, and I actually think your TikTok where you were, so, where you were um, talking about you had the Rick Rubin thing going on, which I thought was hilarious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I think a producer adds so much more than just a beat. And so I don't worry about that replacing producers. I, re I would worry about it if I was just a beat maker. But also if you're just a beat maker and you're able to get some of your stuff up on those platforms, that might be good for you. So I just think that further people need to really understand what producers do, and it's not just putting together beats. There are some who do that, um, but that was never what I did. But again, I, dude, I'm a rock and roll guy. Like this falls way outside the scope ah, of what, yeah, I, yeah. what I ever do. I mean, if there's not a guitar on it, I'm just not interested. So this is also a little outside my wheelhouse. I, I guess that makes sense. I would imagine that the of all the genres that are l less susceptible to being replaced by beats that are repetitive mm -hmm. and, you know, just, you know, have like just a consistent backbeat behind it, it's going to be rock. So yeah. uh, that, that probably puts you in a good position. Well, I am happy to hear that as a producer, uh, you're not concerned about the rise of these beat websites. Because I'll tell you, as an entertainment lawyer, <laughs> I very much am. And I was reminded of my concern about beats and these beat websites and these beat licensing deals uh, when a artist actually emailed the breakthebusiness at gmail.com email, which, by the way, we encourage our our listeners and viewers to email breakthebusiness at gmail.com. If you ever have any questions you want us to answer on the show, any show topics, anything like that. But uh, some people like to use that email as a way to try to extract some free legal advice from me. <laughs> and so somebody emailed breakthebusiness at gmail.com with a an, uh, an uploaded a, a beat agreement from a beat website and said, hey, uh, can I license this? What do you think? Love to get your thoughts. And my thoughts, I wrote back to them very nicely and said, well, you know, I'm a lawyer. I'm not your lawyer. If Here's my law firm email address if you want to go that direction. Mm -hmm. But just for kicks, I did review the beat agreement and, you know, it had some crappy terms in it. And it just kind of reminded me of why I, of the many horror stories that I have come across when seeing other artists beat license, uh, the beat licenses that they use hearing about artists who will license a beat and put it in a song, and then they wind up getting in some kind of trouble because they violated the license agreement and they didn't realize that they did. An artist thinking that the beat license says one thing and then it says something else, and the artist gets in trouble. And so I thought for the remainder of this segment, what I would like to do, Zach, is recount the five horror stories of beat licenses like the five things that can go wrong now we have a little yeah. production behind this or at least i hope that we do because in true break the business tradition i have given producer lauren a completely unreasonable task where not even right before the show but like during the pre-show music i sent lauren a bunch of audio files of like scary dun 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 music and said hey can we uh load these up for the show she hasn't had a chance, like she's thumbs up saying we're ready with this audio, but I don't think she's had a chance to listen to it or preload it. Producer Lauren, like are, how, how, how certain are you that this is going to work? We will have noise. The level at which that noise will play will be determined when we play it. Do we want to test drive one of the sound effects here to make sure that we're okay? What fun would that be? We're just going to wing it. Fair enough. Sweet. All right. <laughs> So here's what I'm going to do, Lauren, um, is I will, uh, I will count off like, you know, scary story number one. And when I give the number, then you can go the dun, dun, dun. And then I'll, oh, okay, we got it. All right. So, um, all right. I think we're ready now. All right. Let's <laughs> just do it again. That's fine. So do that every time you ask a question, yes, this is. Scary Tales of Beat Licenses. Oh, we have more than one. Okay. All right. So this is Scary Tale of Beat Licenses number one. 
And that is when artists encounter non-exclusive licenses. So not all beat licenses are created equal. Some can be very, very expensive and some can be quite inexpensive. I've seen a lot of artists be like, yeah, I found this beat. It cost me less than 10 bucks. So of course I got it. And the danger is that some of those cheap licenses tend to be non-exclusive, which means that anybody can, so like they can license it to you for you to use it in your song, but they can also, that same website will license that beat to other people to use it in their song as well. And at first blush, you might be like, well, I don't care, you know, let other people use that beat too. Like I'm all, I'm all for anyone being able to use the beats as long as I get to use it as well. The problem with that, and it's always the thing that I explain to artists when you have non-exclusive anything, which is that when you have non-exclusive anything, you cannot give exclusive rights to anybody else. So let's say you have this non-exclusive beat and it's a very big part of your song and somebody like a record label or uh, some uh, massive licensing opportunity comes along and wants to use your song. And you're going to probably have to sign something that says that nobody else has, you know, that your material isn't going to sound like anybody else's material, that nobody, it's your material is not going to infringe on somebody else's material. And so if they put your song on their page or, you know, a record label starts using your song and somebody else has got a similar beat out there because that beat was licensed non-exclusively, you might get yourself into trouble later. And a lot of times artists don't know the difference between exclusive and non-exclusive licenses. And sometimes the beat agreement doesn't even tell you specifically that it's non-exclusive and you don't find out until later. So, you know, buyer beware with that first one. Now, our second horror story. Ooh, that one was kind of slow and dramatic. It lingered out there. We should rank these. All right, which was was did you like that one more than the first one? Which which oh, one's yes. your favorite? Dun dun dun. Give me the slow burn. I love that. Oh, you like a good slow burn. All right. So, uh next slow burn here, or next uh, horror story from the slow burn is non-transferable licenses. So, a lot of times when you get these beat licenses, it'll say something like this you can only use this beat for your own purposes. You cannot transfer this beat to somebody else. Uh, you cannot transfer the rights in that beat or in any song that you create to somebody else. And you might think, well, that sounds fine. I'm the only one who's going to use this beat. Except again, if you try to license that beat to somebody else, if you try to transfer the copyright in that song to somebody else, mm -hmm. it's possible that depending on the terms of your agreement, you might be in violation of that beat license and you might get into trouble. And really what the theme is with a lot of these, Zach, is sometimes with a beat license, if that song pops off, if it becomes a hit, say on TikTok, or you or or becomes popular enough that you want to use it in a TV commercial or something, these kind of restrictions can get you in trouble. You know, yeah. ironically, the more successful your song with the beat becomes, the more trouble you could be in, depending on these license agreement terms. Well, and Ryan, I also, as you talk about this, one thing that I think of is that whenever I produce stuff for people, we always make sure they get the instrumental tracks because sometimes commercials want the instrumental tracks. Sometimes mm. movies want your instrumental tracks. And if your instrumental track is one of these licensed beats, that's probably going to be a big problem. Absolutely, because those beat agreements will always say, you can use our beat in connection with the rest of your song, but you cannot send our beat as a standalone beat separately to mm -hmm. somebody. And so, yeah, you're exactly right. If you try to take that beat stem, you could get yourself in trouble. Here is scary story number three of beat licenses. Ooh. So I know you like the slow burn, Zach, but uh, maybe you're a timpani fan. I heard some timpani there. I, I would say that's my second favorite. Mm, it was close. If go. it could be just a little bit more drawn out, that would have taken the top spot. But that's second favorite. This scary story, Zach, weird use restrictions. This is one that I know all too well that frustrates the crap out of me. Every time I read one of these beat license agreements, it always has some weird use restriction buried deep in the fine print. I read a I read one recently that said that you could not use the your song in any sync projects without the original beat maker's permission. Which, you know, given that that's kind of the way that a lot of indie artists make the most money off of their tracks, that's a pretty big restriction. Or uh, perhaps the most frustrating one I've seen are the ones that will place a cap 
on the number of streams that the uh, that you can uh, get with the song, as if that's something that the artist has any control over. Right. Right. Like as if this as if the artist can decide, oh, you know, this song starts to become a hit. Like if if the song goes viral, what are you supposed to do? Just like rip the song off of CD, baby, so you don't yeah. get in trouble with your beat agreement. Those kind of terms are basically uh, just traps, right? That is a beat maker trying to get you in trouble. And if they, and if you're in the event that your song goes viral, they can then send you an, an angry email saying, oh, you're in violation of your agreement. Pay me more money, superstar, with your viral video, or I'm going to bring legal action against you. It is really, really dangerous stuff. And, uh, you know, you got to stay away from any beat license that's going to have a cap on the number of streams. Uh, number four, scary story. I wonder how many of these producer Lauren has. That was, that was kind of middle of the ground. Why, are, are you still liking your slow burn? Yeah. Give me the slow burn all day. Yeah. So, um, number four licenses that say they're unlimited, but they're not, um, you know, there's, there's so many different ways that beat licenses will say that their license is like a full license where there's no use restrictions, right? It'll say unlimited license, premium license, or all. And then you think, okay, so unlimited premium, I can do whatever I want with this. And then you read the fine print, or rather you have a lawyer read the fine print, or rather you don't read the fine print because who has time to read fine print? And then you find out that, uh, there are use restrictions on the number of streams or uh, I, I even saw one where there was a limit on the number of radio stations that could play the song. I don't know where people come up with these, but um, really a big thing that we need with beat licenses is we need a unified system. We need all of these beat licensing companies to come up with like what it means. What does unlimited mean? What does premium mean? And we all need to agree on what it means, like in the same way that like when you look at Creative Commons licenses, right? When you see CC 2.0, you know what that means. That is a universal term. Mm -hmm. We need this in beat licenses so that artists know exactly what they're getting. And finally, scary story number five. Contract terms that you don't get to see until later. I had a lawyer on Twitter what? who was talking about beat license scary stories where, uh, and this is very common, right? You go on the beat website. This is how it goes down. You go on the beat website, you're looking for a beat, you find a beat and you uh, click on, oh yeah, I want to license this beat. And it'll give you like, you know, two choices, right? Do you want the regular license, which has all kinds of stupid restrictions in it? Or do you want the premium license? And you say, yeah, I want the premium. You click a little thing that says that like lays out an outline of what the premium license says. And you're like, man, that's a lot of really good stuff. That doesn't seem to have a lot of use restrictions in it. That's the one I'm going to pay. And you pay a lot of money for it. Those can cost like $400, $500, $600. But you want an unlimited license because you want full assurance that if your song goes viral, you're not going to get in trouble. And then you download that license. Or rather, you download that song. You use that track. And then later, after you pay for and agree to the license, they send you a terms and conditions. You know, this 80 page document that then that has all these fine print, all of a sudden, all the restrictions that you didn't think were going to be there are there. And I've heard lawyers get frustrated with this. I, as a lawyer, have gotten frustrated with this with beat agreements. And this one can really ruin artists. And so the two lessons here that I, I want to impart really three lessons here. One, you don't have to worry about this stuff when Zach produces your record. Let that be said. It says on my website, I don't do this. <laughs> Oh, lovely. We, good on you. Um, second thing, as I said before, we need a unified system. We need all the, we need to have something where an industry standard for what a, you know, what goes into a beat license. And we need to get this kind of like nonsense, except, you know, nonsense uh, use restrictions out. No more caps on the number of times your song can be streamed. No more caps on the number of radio stations that can play your song because that's just trying to get artists into trouble. And finally, the advice to artists, be careful buying and leasing beats. I'm not saying don't do it because I know, I know I'm fighting a losing battle here. There are genres of music where beat licensing is very much the norm. I think hip hop, I think EDM, I think types of pop music. I get it, but you got to be careful in this space and because a lot of times, especially if you're dealing with one of these fly-by-night beat websites, licensing beats can be a lot more trouble than it's worth. 
particularly if your song goes viral. The horror stories sound effect. That was your favorite, right, Zach? The slow burn. The horror stories are everywhere. Uh, It's not even Halloween. Uh, I feel like we're already in the mood for it. See, man, this is why I just make rock and roll. This, you know, this this was not even these these atrocities weren't even on my radar, Ryan. Um, Man, rock and roll isn't going to cap your number of streams. Rock and roll wants as much streaming as possible. (laughs) Yes, especially nowadays, where rock and roll is no longer the the most listened to genre of music. So, um, (laughs) but all all, um, joking aside, for my for other producers out there, before you're ever using any of this stuff. Get yourself a good entertainment lawyer and have them look at it. I I can't tell you how important it is to have somebody. Like, I am a lawyer, but entertainment law was not my specialty, so I would still pay somebody else to do it even though I'm a member, member of the Colorado Bar. Like, get a good lawyer to look at this type of stuff before you ever release it because heaven forbid any of these things happen to you. Sound advice. We're going to take a quick break and be joined by Eric Knight and Rich Ezra of Mubu TV here on Break the Business. Don't go anywhere. Ryan Corella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Zach Sloan, I had a little sticky note to remind myself that when I saw you again, I had to issue my sincere thanks for you connecting us with uh, Wendy and Raina of Dear Marsha. We had them on the show two weeks ago. It was one of my favorite interviews. Thanks so much for helping make that happen. Oh, you mean connecting you with my band? Absolutely happy to do that. They were wonderful. So much great advice and insight. I encourage people to go check out that episode uh, for what was a really fun interview. It's nice to have the people who like get the show, the guests who just really are engaged, and and they were great. So thank you very much, Zach, for making that one happen. Ryan Carella and Zach Sloan here on Break the Business. We're on all major podcast pat- platforms, all live streaming platforms, and we also have our satellite radio home at Sirius XM 145. Much love to Slam Radio for giving us a little piece of satellite radio heaven. Let's go ahead and bring out our guests this week. They are the hosts and co-founders of Mubu TV, that's Music Business Television, an online music business video channel whose purpose is to educate, empower, and engage artists, songwriters, and up-and-coming music professionals in today's new music business. Sounds like a pretty admirable goal to me. The new season of their Mubu TV Insider Podcast and Insider Video Series premiered in February of this year. And you can find out more about our guest's work by visiting www.mubutv.com. We are happy to welcome Eric Knight and Rich Ezra on to break the business. Hello to you both. Hello. Hello. Go go Canes. I, I got a whole list here. First of all, I'm a huge Canes fan. My U of M basketball team, go Canes, go Heat, go Dolphins. So yeah, cool. Got that out of the way. 
Eric Knight just trying to try to ingratiate himself to the host right on the front end. We love it. Um, but it makes sense. As we said before, Eric, you are a, a, a Miami and you were born and raised in yeah. Hialeah, one of the coolest areas in our town. So like you're Miami through and through, like, even though you're an LA person, you got Miami in your blood, right? You're Three, 305 till you oh, die. Five. Exactly. Yep. 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 Yeah. Oh. I've been, I, yeah, I'm a huge, huge sports fan of Miami. I mean, support all the teams and, uh, yeah, my heart is always in my, in Florida. So. Eric Knight is on the bandwagon, Zach. Uh, as we, as my Miami, you and by the way, I'm a huge wedding. Final... I'm a huge wedding crashers. I, 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 I heard the reference and I was cracking up because I, I, I love that movie. Every time it's on TV, I watch it constantly. So <laughs> I love it. Amazing. That's, that's stuff. great to hear. So lest we uh, not include Rich Ezra into the conversation, let me ask you this first question, Rich. Um, you were an executive at yes. Arista Records back under Clive Davis, which makes me insanely jealous because when I was a little kid, all I ever wanted was to be like Clive Davis's mentee or mentor. Or men no, I'd be the mentee. Yes. That's what I, cause so like you, you had like the dream job I always wanted, which seems awesome for you. Tell me that you have one, at least one good Clive Davis story that you can share. Well, um, you know, there's so many uh, stories with him. He taught me a lot. He, he, you know, he taught me everything about learning how the things that I learned from him really were about, you know, learning how to evaluate talent, learning what the things are that you look for, uh, learning how to really listen to songs. That was something that I, I never really fully understood until working with him. Um, what, what he used to call active listening where you don't have any distractions when you're listening to a song. You're listening to a melody. You're listening to a lyric. You're listening to what it's saying. You're listening to how it's saying it. You're listening to, are you being touched? Or is this just cliched formula, you know, as he used to say, over and out. Uh, and he was a master at identifying that and knowing how to construct material that would work for a pop artist. And he was a master at understanding who an artist was he gave me that sense of in a and R of really understanding the difference between people who can go into a club and say, that's a great artist, you know, seeing a guns and roses or Whitney Houston, two radically different kinds of acts and saying, that's a great artist. The difference between that and then knowing exactly the kind of record that you need to make to break those artists. There are two severable arts and that's what I, that's really what I learned from him. And that's why he was such a, uh, a great master uh, at, at the art of a and R. I mean, he, he really was a true, true record man. And there were very few of them in the 20th century. I mean, there was, there was him, there was Ahmed Erdogan, there was Barry Gordy, um, Chris Blackwell, to a smaller extent, um, Chris went much more on instinct, but those I think were, were, were the giants uh, as far as like, you know, record men, David Geffen used to say, you know, about Clive that, you know, he had the utmost respect for him because he had a totally different skill set than David. And Clive used to say the same about David, that David didn't have the song sense that Clive did or the record sense, but he had unbelievable instincts. In Do you talent. have any insight as to where those instincts came from, from Clive? Because he was a lawyer by training. Correct. You know, he, you know this, uh, like he, I don't think he, I don't think he went to music school or anything like that. Like I, I'm sure he, you know, he had great music sense, but it wasn't something that he trained or honed. Where did this, you know, amazing skill of like being at to identify hits and hits makers came from? I've always been curious about that. Well, I, I think it's two different answers. His his instincts on talent, I think, were innate. They just came very latent in his life. As you said, he wasn't one of those people who was like, oh, yeah, I knew I was going to be in the music business from the time I was seven. That wasn't Clive. He had no intention of ever being in the music business. He was a lawyer. And as you said, he didn't get into the music business until he was well into his 30s. I, I believe that the instinct on talent was innate. I believe his instincts on songs was he it was self-taught he really hmm. learned that skill himself he he taught himself that and the way he did it was by studying over years and years and years of listening to hit songs what were the qualities that made them great what were the qualities that touched him uh what what worked in terms of structure and time length 
Um, all of those things he taught himself um, how to do that. So the, the, the element on, you know, identifying an act or seeing a band or, or an artist was I think innate. And he just sort of, he developed that skill over time, but the thing on songs, which was a different art form, he taught himself how to do that. Unbelievable. That's crazy. Eric, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what motivated you both to start Mubu TV? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we're both, I mean, Rich has been teaching for 30 plus years and I think I'm a teacher at heart. Uh, I, I never had really champions in my life in terms of, you know, my parents and friends and stuff of that nature, but not real champions that really believed in what I was doing as a, as an artist and a performer. I've been, you know, touring artists for many years and, uh, my, you know, our motivation was the idea of taking uh, education out of the classroom. And, uh, you know, we're so passionate, about, at least, you know, on, on my end of things as an artist, like you were mentioning earlier in the broadcast, Ryan, that, you know, uh, you really want to help people navigate this industry. You know, you were talking about beat licenses and all the problems that you can encounter just on that topic alone, uh, diving into the deep end of the ocean with that. Uh, those are the kind of things and topics that, you know, we want to uncover in our show and try to share with people so they don't make those mistakes. Cause you know, you keep hearing the nightmare stories you, uh, of, of the artists that just, you know, signed really terrible deals. And now they're trying to untangle the mess that they've been, they've gotten themselves into. And so that's kind of what, uh, our mission was is to like, or is, is to try to create the next you know, kind of CNN of the music industry. Uh, there's that we're going to be starting to roll out soon. And so, you know, we're just excited to share knowledge uh, with our audience and with everybody, just the guys are. Uh, Rich, uh, what was, what's been one of your favorite moments making this program with Eric? Uh, the, the interviews, the interviews, the, the sit down conversations that we've had, um, you know, Eric and I have had a, an immense amount of joy in some of the conversations. I know, like before we started the program, we were talking about the conversation we had with uh, the great A&R executive, John Kaladner. Um, that was a very exciting one. Getting to speak to um, some of the people. I mean, we, we're both so grateful that people are willing to share this information. And, you know, people say, well, how did you get so and so? And how did you get by asking? That's how, by asking, you know, people will or they won't. Um, you know, some people don't feel comfortable going in front of a camera. Uh, some people do. I, I've taught classes for many years at UCLA, at uh, Trevis Institute, at, I teach at Musicians Institute. There are, there are people in the business who do not feel comfortable speaking in front of other people. Um, th there are some people who feel very uncomfortable talking about themselves or about their career. So... The people that we've gotten, uh, Ryan, um, that's been the most exciting part uh, for, for me uh, in, in, in the whole journey is those conversations because you learn something. You know, if you're open and you're really sensitive to listening, you really learn something. Even though, you know, I've been in the business for 45 years, um, you still learn something new from, from a, a lot of people. And we're, as you know, we're in a business that is going through a radical revolution a radical change. And, you know, so much of what Eric was just saying about what you had mentioned about, you know, beat contracts and so forth. So, you know, on the bigger meta level, so much of the responsibility today for artists to have a career has been placed back in the artist court. There are no longer those systems that are all in place that a manager or an attorney or a, a, a label or an agent is all going to do it for you. Now, so much of that initial work in making your career go from zero to 40 on a scale of 100 is up to the artist. So artists need to be educated about how to do that, uh, to, especially today, because no one's going to do it for you. And would you say, Rich, that you know when you think about what the industry was like back at your Arista days versus what it's like now, is that sort of, as far as you're concerned, the most significant change in the music industry since then? Or are there other kind of huge developments that you think about when you're like, man, things have really changed since I got started in this? It's an aspect of it. I, I think, you know, one of the great, there've been many significant changes. The, the greatest changes as, as I see 
in terms of what the business was versus what it is now is we went from a copy model where we as an industry sold something, a vinyl album, a cassette or a CD. We went to an access model and it was the first time in our history where we didn't have an item to sell. Uh, and, and that produced a revolution. And it's, it's my belief that revolutions produce two outcomes. One is the obvious. It, it produces a change in habits, you know, different habits. Um, the other is far more subtle and it's far more profound because it's more lasting. And that is that you have a change of values. And that is what the revolution of the music business of going from a copy model to an access model. Ryan, we live in a world today where we can get whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want on any number of devices that we want, wherever we are in the world and on any number of platforms and we can get it for free. That has profoundly changed what people will listen to on a values level. It's changed who they will listen to, meaning the values of what people respond to today in terms of an artist are radically different than they were back in, you know, even the early 2000s, radically different. The whole value system around that, who you are, what you're about, where you're coming from, what you stand for, what you don't stand for. Um, why should I care? These things, even if, even if the public isn't aware of them, they're very, very much a part of that whole question that you just asked. Uh, and they radically affect the kinds of artists that will have careers and the kinds of artists that, that don't have any impact, especially today, especially today, given the landscape that I talked about. The, the good news for artists is that there's no more gatekeepers. That's a big difference from the past. Yeah. There's no more people saying, you, Zach, get the record deal, and you, Ryan, do not. That's the good news. There's no more gatekeepers. The bad news, there's no more gates. You know, they've Ooh. all been knocked down. So in, in that world, you know, you got to ask yourself, well, what's the most valuable commodity? And it's not money or size or power or market share anymore. It's the ability to get someone's attention. That's the most valuable commodity in media. And why? Because you can't buy that anymore. Uh, it used to be, I, I could say, you know, Zach, how big do I need to make the check? And we would get results as a movie studio, as a label commensurate with that. We don't live in that world anymore. We simply don't, you know, we have too much choice. We have too many options. We have too many things coming at us where just getting somebody's attention today, uh, even within your own life, you can look at that, Ryan, you can say from the moment your eyes open in the morning until they shut at night, how many times is a, is a, a wife, a sister, a, a brother, a, a, an associate, a friend, a job, a boss, uh, a text message, a website, an email, something somewhere trying to get your attention. And how many things do you give it to and for how long? And then you begin to see you know, not, not only to mention with regards to your own life, but then you begin to see, you know, Ryan, come to my show, Ryan, check my album out, Ryan, listen to my, how difficult that is. And that, that's the world we live in. And I think we're at a, what's the word, uh, an inflection point in the industry right now where none of the old tropes of working, and I see this across media, none of the old ways are working anymore. We have more and more and more and more music and fewer and fewer and fewer, fewer hits. Uh, fewer and fewer things connecting. And that's not unique to music. It's that way in television. It's that way in movies. It's that way in books. Um, you see it across the media landscape where we just, you know, we're starting to see the consequences of endless, you know, choice. It's, uh, it's one of the curses. Well, Rich, you don't need to convince me of the fact that we now live in a industry where you can get any music you want, when you want it, rapid fire. Producer Lauren was able to get five separate dun-dun-dun music tracks in just the time it took to start this podcast. So it's a right. brave new world that we're in. We love That's it right. here. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, Zach, tell me that you didn't also have the same mind-blown uh, feeling that I did, Zach, when Rich said, there may, may be, there may be no more gatekeepers, but there are also no more gates. Just boom. That honestly kind of terrifies me i never thought about it that way <laughs> which is why we have guests on like this um because these are things that i think your average person who's not in not deep in it wouldn't think about the other thing that really struck me was revolutions cause a change in values and man has that not really hit home for a lot of artists recently does that is that get a does that type of specific content get addressed on mubu tv 
Yeah, yes, it does. We 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 discuss that. We 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 talk about those things um, in some of the conversations that we have with different people, uh, and and they say so much. I mean, you know, I, I remember uh, Eric having a discussion with you know certain producers and certain um, promoter. You know, your conversation, uh, Eric, with Gary uh, on the whole touring thing and what he was talking about with regards to the values around rock and the reality of the business today. That was an interesting conversation that brought up a lot of these things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the whole idea of, you know, how the landscape is changing, even with a company like Gary's, which is Danny Wimmer Presents, they they host the biggest hard rock and metal festivals all over the country. I think you guys in Florida have one that happens that's part of their organization. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's just exactly what Rich is saying. We're going through this revolution. And, you know, the interesting thing is, is that the record labels are even struggling now. I mean, with the whole TikTok phenomenon, I mean, they cannot they, they cannot gain any ground uh, on anything that they're doing now. Again, getting back to Rich's point, because you're trying to get people's attention. So it's an interesting kind of uh, conundrum that everybody's in right now because of the fact that the DSPs, as we know, as of today, 100,000 songs are being uploaded every day to Spotify, to, I mean, all of the DSPs. That's an enormous flood. It's like the spigot opening and just not turning off. So for you to try to break through that noise now, it's going to take, a, you know, it gets back to having superior songs. The songs have got to be just superior and your messaging and who you are as an artist and uh, the message that you're trying to get across and what you believe in, what, you know, who is your, who is your avatar. And it's not being all things to all people because that world doesn't exist anymore. It just Eric, doesn't. In, in the course of interviewing the folks that you've interviewed on the Mubu TV insider podcast and insider video series, was there a moment where you heard something from a guest that just completely changed your perspective on some aspect of the industry, changed your worldview, changed a preconceived notion that you had based on your own experience in the music business? And if so, could you tell us about it? Yeah, I'm not sure if there's something that that changed the way that that blew me away. But what I did love is that a lot because, you know, a lot of our you know, the our insiders, we call our audience insiders, they have preconceived notions about A&R people and, you know, uh, why they sign this band and why they do this and why they do that. One of the things that I picked up, which uh, has been pretty much across the board with most of our guests, spanning whether they're a music supervisor, a music publisher, A&R guy or girl, and uh, what that thing was the idea about trusting their gut and, you know, that gut feeling of listening to what they what they what moves them and then in turn believing in that artist and acting upon that and and moving forward with a with a guest it, i can't tell you how many uh you know people in that world that we've discussed that talked about the whole idea of like i i'm basing everything on my gut not because they had a million followers on TikTok or Instagram or whatever, uh, because that's another preconceived fallacy that people think, oh, because they have a lot of people, they're getting signed and uh, it couldn't be further from the truth. They're, they're signing acts that don't have any social media presence because the record labels, as Rich has said in the past, what they're really good at is becoming amplifiers. Once an act is at a certain level, a label can come in and completely take that from point A to point Z, like overnight. And so those were one of the things that I picked up on that a lot of the people that are in the world that, you know, you guys interview and that we interview here on, on our show is that they base a lot of their stuff on their gut. Wow. That's powerful. Rich, can you tell the viewers and listeners a little bit more about the upcoming season of Mubu TV, the insider podcast, the insider video series? I know it's uh, already started for a couple months now, but you got some great episodes coming everyone's way. I would love to hear more about it. Yeah. We, we release a, a episode, uh, a podcast every week and a video episode every week. We put a podcast out every Tuesday. We put a video episode out every Wednesday. We've interviewed executives like John Kaladner. We've interviewed executives like Michael Alago. Don Passman is a world-renowned music attorney. We have, uh, you know, up and coming, we have, you know, Toby Wright, who's a very famous hard rock 
record producer airing this week. Uh, Eric did a wonderful interview with him, uh, got into his whole philosophy. Um, upcoming, we have who are some of the people, Eric, that we have uh, coming up over the next couple weeks? Uh, uh, we I'm have Sass Medcalf, yeah, Sass Medcalf, uh, president of Cobalt. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the people. My God, I've been it's been such a blur for me. Um, <laughs> Sabrina <laughs> trying, Del Priori, who's Sabrina the Del Priori from Paramount of, of Paramount uh, Studios. They, they they run the empire of Paramount, Paramount Plus, CBS, uh, MTV. You know, um, uh, all of the streaming services, mm -hmm. BET. She's doing you know music strategy for all of those. So that was a really interesting conversation. That's coming up. Um, who else do we have? We have uh, a lot of music supervisors. We have Andy Ross. Andy um, Ross that we just did. Who's a great music supervisor coming up, talking about, you know, the whole role of music supervisors, how that's changing, and about, you know, their struggle right now for um, union representation uh, oh, as yeah. a profession. Um, oh, wow. So that that's a, a great one that's coming up. Um, who else do we have? We have A&R people from um, – uh, Andrew Grant from Atlantic Records, uh, we, and we have also um, Johnny Minardi from Electra uh, A and R coming up That's as right. well too. Yeah, VP of so, A and R from Electra coming up. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of great ones coming up in a lot of different areas. We also have a lot of international people, Ryan, who talk about. Um, you know, uh, Eric did a a wonderful interview last year with a guy named Tej Brar who is really making inroads on the whole live scene in India. You know, that's going to be an enormous music market. Um, you know, they have the, the whole technological aspect down, and now they're really making inroads into live performance uh, in terms of opportunities for artists outside of America. Uh, so that was an interesting one. We also did one with um, Vikram Meha, who's the head of the Indian Music Association. We just did that one last week. Uh, so those are just some of the episodes that are coming up and some of the areas that we're going to be covering. You, you bring up an excellent point about India. I read something on Twitter recently where somebody said that 10 years ago, 200 million people in India had access to the Internet. Today, that number is 800 million. Mm -hmm. So when you think about what that means in terms of the number of consumers in the music industry and the increased economic power that that country is going to have, it's going to have a lot of influence on what the industry looks like going forward and create a lot of opportunity for creators. Very, very exciting stuff. You can find out more about our guests' work and check out their programs by visiting MubuTV.com. That's M-U-B-U-TV.com. Our guests have been Rich, Eric Knight and Rich Ezra from MubuTV, the founders and co-hosts. We've had a fantastic time. Gentlemen, this has been an absolute pleasure. We're big fans of what you do. And before we let you go, we'd love to get each of you to answer our final question. We'll start with Eric. Eric, do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Well, I think, you know, never give up. It's a roller coaster ride. I can speak for it myself. I've been a musician all my life, and it's a roller coaster that we're going through. And I think other tips that I would give is, you know, start assembling your team early. Uh, if you need help with songwriting, look, start hooking up with songwriters and start writing and becoming, you know, a master of of that because that's really without the without the great music, you don't have anything. And I think it's just assembling that team of believers. Uh, that's not mom and dad, but people that are actually doing this. And I think that that's going to go a long way. Rich Ezra, same question. Yeah, I, I believe that, <clears throat> excuse me, I believe that the artist of, of today has a great opportunity to have a career independent of labels, independent of a lot of aspects that were not possible in the past. However, I feel that in order to do that, um, there's got to be a commitment to learning about this business. And I will say as an educator for the last 40 years, it has never been easier to educate yourself than today. You don't have to leave your home. It will all come to you. The information is out there. YouTube is out there. The publications are out there. They will come to you. Please start reading. Start becoming aware and educated about the world and the business that you want to make your career in. And I say this to people who are serious about a career, not a hobby, 
Because music, as you know, Ryan, music can be a wonderful hobby. And we know a lot of people that have music as a hobby, and that's great. But if it's to be your career, if it's really to be where you're going to make your living in it today, you have got to learn about the business that you want as your career. No one's going to do it for you. And as Eric says, you know, the more you do that, the more you will attract a great team. And you will learn by doing this, you will also learn who the real people are out there and who the, uh, the um, you know, the, the people that are not so real. Because you'll, you'll have known because you'll have done that work. Uh, it's like, you know, you, Ryan, you know who the good attorneys are because you are one and you've been on the front lines of that. So you can smell that kind of, you know, uh, inauthenticity when you encounter it. I think it's the same thing for artists. Educate yourself. It's never been easier uh, to do and you don't have to leave your home, but you do have to do the work. That's the crucial part is do the work and, um, and the career is there for you. The new season of the Mubu TV Insider podcast and insider video series is available now at MubuTV.com. Rich Ezra, Eric Knight, thank you both so much for being on the show this week. Thank thanks, you. Guys, thank so you much. so much for having us. Really appreciate it. Our thanks to you both. Our thanks to Zach Sloan and producer Lauren. And thanks to all of you viewers and listeners for checking out Break the Business. We'll see you next week.